When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I suppose we should get this out of the way. Congratulations on still being in the Mickey Mouse Cup. Uh, very pleased for you. But, <laughs> Palace and Everton fans sharing the same embarrassment. We didn't even make it to three o'clock on the Saturday. That's, and in a way, that's an achievement. But uh, but there you go. But, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed you enjoyed watching those goals fly in. I I was so disappointed yesterday afternoon, Kieran. I tried to cheer myself up by pretending Middlesbrough Brighton was a Championship relegation match. <laughs> but you won five one, so even that didn't work. Um, yes, it was. A, it was a. It was a startlingly good performance. Yeah, well, that's, that's also, it's a bit annoying, isn't it? You can bring on a World Cup winner when you're already 3-1 up away to Middlesbrough. Uh, yeah, and he, and he scores a Cruyff-style goal. Yeah, as a parent, so I'm told. Obviously, I haven't watched it. I'd be very disappointed if you watched it. <laughs> I wouldn't have watched it under any circumstances, Kieran, even if Palace had won, but there you are. Uh, it's Questions Day, Kieran. Um, and I know one of these questions kept you very busy, but the first one comes from Ben Platt. Now, Ben Platt says, as you know, my club Forest, Nottingham Forest, won the Championship playoff final last season, which will earn the club millions of pounds over the next three seasons at least. And it got me wondering, has that money made our financial concerns, if we had any, disappear? Well, I think spending about 200 million quid of it on 25 players probably didn't help, Kieran, did it? Yes, there, there was a touch of the uh, the Viv Nicholsons from Forest when they were promoted. Um, the the belief that if you get promoted, all of your financial challenges are going to disappear is a bit of a myth. Mm. Um, Forest have lost Forest lost two hundred and fifty million pounds from day to day activity, quarter of a billion pounds. Uh, in the decade up to twenty one, uh, yeah, season twenty twenty one. So they were reliant upon owners putting money in. Yes, they had some player sales to help them as well. Yeah, um, you get a lot more money if you if you get promoted. The the press, the media. I'm not critical here. The, the media always say oh, it's it's hundred hundred eighty million pounds guaranteed, but that that's over three years. Yeah, you know, if, if you go up and you come straight down again, first of all, you you immediately lose one year's worth of parachute payments. Um, and then, as you rightly pointed out, what will happen is a you you spend in order to try to survive, and and your wage bill goes up. So, so if, if we take a look at 
our two clubs. And you know, Palace have been in the Premier League now for this is the ninth season. We've, we've got accounts. Uh, I think we've got accounts. I've got eight years worth of accounts. Um, Palace have lost money six years out of eight. Mm. Brighton have lost money three years out of four. So it costs a lot of money to get there, and it costs a lot of money to stay there. Um, so therefore, the clubs don't necessarily uh, become profitable. All that they're doing is that they're they're dealing with much bigger wage bills and much bigger transfers. And yes, they've got much more money coming in as well. But actually getting the balance right is is very difficult. I mean, the, the one club that did it very well on a long-term basis, and you know, I've championed them in the past, is, uh, is Burnley. But mm. then if you spoke to Burnley fans at times, they'd say, yes, we got, we got seventh in the, in the Premier League, but that was probably the worst thing that ever happened because we simply didn't have the resources to play Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. Um, and, and some fans have said, you know, that was the start of the, the, the decline over the next few seasons. Which still is a couple of things there, Kieran. Um, first of all, I think I probably should say for people under the age of 55 and anyone listening abroad that uh, Viv Nicholson in the early 60s uh, and her husband won the football pools, uh, which was the uh, sky bet of his time, basically. Uh, and when asked what she was going to do with the money, said she was going to spend, spend, spend. <clears throat> the other two things, Kieran, football-wise, is we we do still. I mean, I, I buy into it. Even after doing this pod for nearly three years, I buy into the idea that promotion to the Premier League sort of gets you five years anyway, guaranteed financial solid, uh, solidity. And secondly, to answer Ben's question specifically about Forrest, there's a lot of football fans thinking if Forest get relegated, they're going to be in big, big trouble with the amount of money they spent on players. And you wonder what sort of contracts they've got in the case of relegation. Well, I, th- I think Forest are already starting to try to offload some of the players that they recruited in the summer. Um, from from an FFP point of view, I think they'll be okay. Ultimately, it comes down to the owner. Yeah, the owner spent a lot of money getting club, getting the club into the Premier League. Um, you know, they've they've started to find better results recently as well. Um, and, and provided you've got an owner that continues to to bankroll the club, and there's no evidence that he won't, then I, I don't think Forest have anything to worry about per se. I think their biggest challenge, as, as I think as you, you were sort of uh, hinting at, was how are they going to deal with the the legacy of having made so many signings? Normally, when, when a football club is promoted, that they'll they'll probably have half a dozen players recruited. Yes, other players will be on bonuses and step-ups in terms of their contracts and getting to the Premier League, but that actually buys you a little bit of uh, a little bit of wiggle room. What, what Forrest have done is clearly they've, they've recruited many, many players, and therefore they're effectively all coming in on what you would call a Premier League wage. Will, will they have step-downs if the club's relegated? I suspect so, but I think uh, you know, talking to agents, it's a case of, how big are those step downs? If, if it's if it's twenty or thirty percent, and I've, I've spoken to a chief executive of a of a of a Premier League club, and he said, "Well, you know, that's the most we can realistically ask for." That then it does cause a big issue uh, when the club is relegated, or should the club be relegated? Um, in in order for for clubs to survive, they they probably have to take a you know a, a perhaps a fifty or a sixty percent pay cut and. If, if you go to somebody and say, okay, we're not in Forest, we've just been promoted via the, via the playoffs, um, we're going to offer you 
you know, 45 grand a week, but you're going to have to take a 60% pay cut if we get relegated. That's not necessarily attractive to somebody who's who's being asked to sign, you know, a, perhaps a three or a four year deal. Yeah, I see Forest fans are doing the same on social media as Palace fans and Bournemouth fans and Everton fans are doing, pretending it's a good thing we got knocked out of the FA Cup because that means teams like Southampton and Leeds have got more games to play. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a false hope, Kieran. Um, okay, I think we should mention, by the way, uh, perhaps we should have mentioned this at the start. There might be a slight difference in sound quality just this week from your end because you're you've been kicked out of your plush office recording suite, haven't you? That, that that is the case. Yes. Yeah, so if you hear strange noises in the background, uh, I've I've been uh, I've been evicted to the kitchen because the Baroness has uh, is uh, decorating the uh, both the man cave and the office uh, and most of the rest of the house, and uh, uh, therefore I, I have to go where I'm told, as it, as is the case. So that that first background sound you heard was was Finley eating his wonky chomps in the kitchen on the tiled floor as opposed to the carpet when he comes into uh, comes to the office. So we're slightly more uh, we're slightly more media friendly in the office um, as, as a result of me being uh, immediate. And, and in fact, we were on, uh, we were on look North uh, on, on Friday um, and we were announced as the, the Prince of football as opposed to <laughs> the price of football. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the fact that you use the Royal we there, Kieran. Like we are, we are the William and Harry of the podcasting world. Uh, you, you got me worried, then. So I, think, I, I know I drink a lot and forget things, but I don't remember being on Look North. How, how would I have got there? Uh, yes, I saw that caption. The Prince of Football it made me laugh uh, very much. But I may have to get the RSPCA onto you, Kieran, because it's, it's very cruel that you're making your dog eat wonky chumps off a cold granite tiled floor rather than his normal shag pile park carpet that he's used to. Um, I suspect, Kieran, this next question from Paul Garrett is the one that's uh, been causing you some spreadsheet mayhem, which I know you love a bit of spreadsheet mayhem, but we started a little bit late because you were mid-mayhem um, and also dealing with a sulky dog. It comes from Paul Garrett, and Paul Garrett's question is, the Premier League pays out different sums of prize money to each club depending on the position they finish in each season. I was wondering whether instead of pounds per finishing position, would pounds per point work as a better way of distributing this merit money? Um, it's, it's an interesting question, Kira, isn't it? Really? I mean, normally points and your finishing position would sort of correlate, but sometimes you, you probably could have a team, three or four teams on the same points. The you know, goal difference is going to cause them to lose out on eight million quid. You're absolutely right. So, for people that are not familiar with the Premier League distribution system, the way that it broadly works is that fifty percent of the money is allocated on an even basis. Twenty-five percent of the money is distributed based on the number of times that you appear on live television, and, and that's perfectly understandable. Yeah, you know, and, and we, yeah, I think I think we have to be realistic that the likes of you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, and so on, they are more attractive to a TV audience than than, than you know, clubs, and, that, and we've got to include our clubs there as well. Yeah, you know, we, we 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 live in the real world. Um, and the final 25% is based on where you finish in the table. Um, and it works out as 2.1 million per position. So this means that uh, you know, Manchester City get 20 times as much money as the side that finishes bottom, uh, which which last season was Norwich. So um, 
Paul's question came in, and uh, what I had to do was to, to get out the spreadsheet to to, to work out the number of points uh, earned by each club, um, to look at the total amount of money which is distributed on the merit system, which is four hundred and thirty million pounds, and then reallocate it on a point basis. So I, I, I was having great fun, as you can imagine. But uh, I was, I was, yeah. It, it was. I started this at uh, at eleven o'clock last night, um, and I was getting. I was getting the look, yeah, and I, I, I suspect there's not many other people in this situation who, who get a, a look from the person you love uh, along the lines of, you better close that fucking computer and quickly <laughs> when you're in bed together. Um, but that was the look that I was getting. So therefore, I had to I had to reconvene this morning. Um, and uh, it, 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 it took me by surprise because I initially thought – that uh, we've seen Manchester City and Liverpool, especially in recent years, reach you know, un- unparalleled level of points in a season. Um, so I thought, therefore, I, my initial thought was, well, are they, they, those two would earn even more money. But uh, that, that didn't prove to be the case because Manchester City got 93 points and Norwich, who finished bottom, got 22. So that's, that's, that's effectively four and a half times the number of points. So, so what, what happens here is it, it narrows the, the top and the bottom. So, so Norwich City, instead of receiving £2.1 million, would have received 9.2. And Manchester City would have been slightly down. Uh, I mean, they, they had a 93-point season, so they, they were down a couple of million. But the biggest, uh, the biggest losers in this were Manchester United. And, and, and the reason for that is that if, if people remember, Manchester United finished uh, sixth in the table, but they were, they were a long, long way behind the side that finished fifth. Um, and, and the biggest beneficiaries were, were Burnley um, at the bottom of the table who, who were relegated. So um, it, it's it's an interesting distribution method, and um, a, another uh, another listener to the show, uh, Liers, I, I, I put the numbers out on social media on Sunday morning before we recorded the show. Um, said, well, "What what would we do? How would it work out if it was based on the number of goals scored?" And, and I read this aloud uh, <laughs> in the kitchen, which was a mistake to say just to say that I, I am in the kitchen by myself. Um, uh, because the the look was the, the look was amplified by the Baroness, and I said, "Oh yeah, I, I could probably spend a couple of hours and work that out." Um, and now, I'm sorry, Lee, I'm, I'm not going to do it just yet. <laughs> um, well, Lee's a Palace fan, so why he's worried about working it out on goal scored is beyond <laughs> me. Um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Alan Hemphill. Um, and basically, Alan wants to know, was there ever a resolution to the conflict with Rangers and Cinch about the SPFL sponsorship deal? And if so, were there any changes to the financial package? Right. Uh, I think that we've got two questions here in respect of uh, Alan's query. Um, my understanding is that uh, an agreement was reached between the SPFL and Rangers Football Club. And, and the reason why there was a dispute in, in the first place is that the, the, sort of the, the league sponsor, as it were, uh, are the, the, the car firm Cinch. Um, and uh, Rangers chairman, uh, a guy called Douglas Park, he also has a, uh, a car company uh, you know, that sells cars. So he had, a, he had a, a sponsorship arrangement with Rangers. And 
the, the view taken by rangers is that if there is a conflict between an existing sponsorship arrangement and anything which is agreed centrally, then they don't have to participate with this. Um, I think initially the SPFL were saying, well, come on, guys, you're, you're, you're rangers, you know, you benefit and all of the other clubs in the SPFL benefit from this, but but Rangers felt that it, it wasn't fair, or rather their chairman, I think, in particular felt that this wasn't fair because it was taking away attention from uh, his his arrangement with the club. So they came to an agreement which which appeared broadly to, to be in favour of Rangers in the sense that Rangers do not have to participate. So you know, we often see... Um, interviews with uh, players and managers after the match. And they always stand in front of those sort of polycarbonate or laminate mm. uh, sheets where you've got the name of all, you know, the, the, the names of all the sponsors are splattered over. Um, in, in respect of other clubs, that still involves cinch. With respect to Rangers, it doesn't. Um, and, and the other thing which has taken place um, – and this is personally, yeah, if I was the Rangers captain, I, I might be secretly slightly disappointed in this. Um, all of the captains of the SPFL Premiership teams um, got an opportunity to do a photo op and, and a selfie with Rylan, <laughs> except except Rangers. No. So you've got you've got the Celtic and you've got the Aberdeen and the Hearts and the Hibs and you know they're, they're, they've they got the yeah you know, the thumbs up and the big smiles with Rylan. Let's face it, it's always going to be a big smile with Rylan. Um, uh, uh, but but Rangers sadly missing, and, and personally, as a as as, as a man that, that admires uh, Ryland's attempts to uh, replicate uh, Olivier Giroud's haircut, um, I, I would be I would be slightly disappointed. Well, listen, if the Rangers captain is listening, trust me, Ryland would only be too happy to have a separate photograph with you. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it won't take a lot of organising. He, he's, he's, I mean, why would you not want to be photographed when you look like that? Uh, it's a lovely chap as well, actually, very intelligent, but he, he he loves a photo, whereas you and I, I was going to say you and I shun the limelight, Kieran, but you don't. As you said, you're a media tar. You welcome, you run in, embracing the arms of the limelight, if limelight can have arms. Um, our next question, Kieran, is, I was, I'm sorry, I want to go back to that, because uh, the second part of Alan's question was about changes to the financial package. If If I was the CEO of Cinch, or the person making the decision to spend this money, Surely you'd be looking for some sort of discount on the deal then if one of the two highest profile clubs by a long, long way are refusing to take part in the deal that you, you arranged with the SPFL. Would, would that have happened? From, from, what, I, from what I've heard, um, the, the value of the deal has been maintained. Okay. Um, Rangers, you know, ironically, still get a share of the money yeah. because the, 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 money, the, the money from Cinch goes into the overall pot, which is then allocated effectively on a, um, on, on a, on a merit basis, on, on a, a final position basis. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if I was Cinch, yeah, part of me would be quite happy because they've actually gathered and gained more publicity uh, and more okay. attention from the story than from the deal itself in certain respects. Oh. Uh, you know, and, and we saw this um, in the Qatar World Cup with, uh, with, with, with the alcohol ban. Uh, you know, from, was, it, was it Budweiser? I, I think yeah. it was Budweiser. They, they, they got worldwide attention, whereas if you're just coming up on the adverts, as, you know, because the first thing you do at halftime, of course, is, is you, 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 well, 
I, I would say if I was an old man, I'd say oh, you go and make yourself a cup of tea. But what you tend to do these days is is, is check your WhatsApp groups to see what's been what's been chatted in the last five or ten minutes, and and you don't look at the television. Um, so I, I, I think in in a some in a, in a funny way, all of the parties have benefited. Cinch have got more column inches from this, and, and they've been seen to do nothing wrong. And in fact, by maintaining the level of sponsorship, yet they're, they're trying to position themselves here as the good guys saying, well, okay, we understand Rangers' position, but you know, we're, we're not going to make, we're going to ensure that there's no less money going into the SPFL. You know, and, and that could actually be a sort of a positive signal from a marketing and uh, commercial point of view, which is, of course, what they're there for. Um, Rangers feel that you know, they're... The position that they've taken, which is on a is on a business point of view, and and yeah, Rangers, it's fairly well known. They they've got issues with the SPFL, but you know, Rangers do do have quite a long list of people that they're not particularly happy with. But they feel that they've protected the interests of one of their senior investors, um, and there's there's as much money coming into the game as before. Mm. You know, there's sometimes I feel, Kieran, there's a certain Machiavellian touch to your brain, the way you think. Um, and I explained who Viv Nicholson was. I'm not going to explain who Machiavelli was, so you can look that up. But I, I should point out as well that during the World Cup, uh, I had to watch all the adverts in case my son popped up on the ITVX advert because <laughs> Ali thought it would be a gross, uh, terrible bit of parenting if we missed any of them. <laughs> uh, now, Shishia Kulahali has our next question, Kieran. And it's a very interesting one. It's a very valid one. But some part of me thinks it kind of goes against everything that we believe somehow on the pod. And I'm I'm almost hoping that the answer you give is a negative one, even though it is a very good question. And Shishia Kulhali says, last season Milan won the Serie A title with the youngest squad and were in a far better financial shape than just a few years ago. Are we to take away the lesson that ownership by a private equity fund could be a force for positive change in the football industry given the gross financial mismanagement going on at virtually every level of the game. Maybe these equity funds could force football to get their house in order, even though their ultimate goal is pure financial profit. It's an intriguing question. Isn't it, Justin? uh, Absolutely. Um, I think think we need to take a step back and say, what is the objective of football? Because from a private equity perspective, as, as he rightly says, the, the aim is profit maximization. And, and the way that private equity, for people unfamiliar with, with an action, a private equity fund works as follows. You've got ridiculously wealthy people have got large amounts of money and they don't just want to keep it in the bank account. So therefore, they go to a private equity company and they say, right, yeah, here's 10 million and, and there's lots of them. And, and, they, and the private equity says, right, we will build up a fund of money and we will manage that on your behalf by buying companies and investing in industries which we think are underperforming. So um, they do that and, and they, they, they think that football and, and European football in particular ticks that particular box. So, so therefore, they've gone in and, and they've, 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 they've bought clubs with the aim of turning them around financially. Now, that may or may not coincide with an improvement on what you see on the pitch. Mm. But what you will see from private equity is, um, first of all, they will try to reduce costs. Now, costs is another word for for jobs. Um, So it could mean that back office jobs go. 
Um, you and I have been around football long enough to know that actually some clubs are a bit chaotic and they, they could be more efficient mm. from a purely financial point of view. But part of the reason why we love them is because they're actually trying to do good for the local community as well. Mm. So so all of these things such as uh, you know, potentially you know, the academy would be viewed purely as a financial activity. Mm. Um, would the private equity companies be interested in, in doing football for – uh, groups, you know, you know, like you know, old men's walking football, you know, the type of stuff that, that I, I do and so on, mm. um, that they probably say, well, unless it makes a profit, sack it off. Um, you know, we, we've spoken about the pride that we've had from football clubs reaching out and saying, right, we're going to provide quiet rooms, safety yeah. rooms, yeah. warm rooms. Yeah. Well, from a private equity point of view, it's red line, red. Yeah, they, they just they say that, that goes, that goes, that goes. There is, and I'm, I don't want to sound too callous here, but there is no moral, ethical, or social compass coming from anybody in the private equity industry. They have a job to do, which is to maximise the financial return for their investors. So, um, so, Kieran, sorry to interrupt you there, but otherwise I might forget to ask this question. Is it? Is there no sense from them that, at least from a PR point of view, those things are worth doing because they don't cost much? And or, or are they really generally, uh, literally only looking at figures and don't care about the human side at all? You you, you might find some funds which are you know, an environmental or an ethical private equity fund because it could be set up for people right. who are independently you know uh, very successful who who wants to to do this so you you could have specific funds but the general aim has always been um one of let's let's just try to make as much money as possible um and and sometimes they will take the view i remember when when manchester united agreed to pay the real living wage and you know for me I i think that's possibly the greatest achievement of this show because we used to just slag them off for it yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually I got a call from one of their comms people to say, we're getting bad publicity for this. You shut up about it and we'll do the, we'll do the, we'll do it. Cause it's not yeah. actually going to cost us very much money. Um, and, and also, you know, let, let's not take hundred percent of the credit for this. There's lots of other people that have been, been doing you know, the, the same thing, trying to highlight some of the uh, misfeasances of the industry. So, <clears throat> If I was involved in private equity, what would I be looking for? I would be looking to to boost revenues, and I'd be looking for certainty of revenues as well, i.e. I'm in favor of Super League. You know, who was behind Super League? It was JP Morgan. It was the Glazers. It was right. FSG. You know, all of these people for whom uh, football is, is, is not a passion. It's not a sport. It's, it's not one of the biggest loves of their life. It is, it's a business. Um, so Super League games taking place overseas. I think we would, should we say, they would describe. We've decided to revisit ticket pricing. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I've been critical of clubs. You know, Manchester United haven't increased season ticket prices for around about ten years. Um, and going back to your your previous observation, part of the reason for that is that they know that they'd get so much negative publicity that it's probably just not worth the aggravation. But also, to be fair, there are some really good people at Manchester United 
who are from Gorton and Ermston and so on and yeah. understand the importance of Manchester United to Manchester. Whereas from an outsider's perspective, you know, the club is seen as being as a, you know, a, a global brand and so on. Um, private equity normally looks for an exit route um, after three to five years, but it, it does seem to be um, looking to, to get involved in football probably on a longer term basis. So there, there, there could be some pure business improvements uh, in, in respect of Shishia's perspective. Um, and that could reduce the possibility and probability. We've got a complaining dog in the background. Um, That's a isn't that a yoga position? <laughs> yes. Um, but but whether that would be better for for football? Would it be better for Would it be better for the big clubs? Yes. Would it be better for the big club owners? Without doubt. Um, but the reason why. We as fans united in a way that we never did, be, had never seen, I've never seen before in respect of Super League. Yeah. Is that even if you are a fan of Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool, you still believe in the romance of the sport. You know, as we saw yesterday, you know, third round of the FA Cup, the the club with the richest owners on the planet lost to third-tier Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, and, and, and it was great to watch as well. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and especially as one of the goals was offside and there was no VAR. That was perfect. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, we, we would have a more clinical, a more financially uh, astute game. Um, it would be... It would be like an, uh, uh, an American franchise. Right. Um, and, and, and therefore, you know, de-risked, um, far more commercial. You know, they they would be pushing for four quarters instead of two halves yeah. because you can make more money from advertising. Football, as we've known historically, would be different. On a personal level, I, I would find it appalling. Um, all of my mates would. I'm sure you would as well. But they would find an audience that would perhaps buy into it. Mm. I, I'm sorry to ask again, King, but I'm just really interested in Shishi's question. But bearing in mind everything you said about uh, private equity owners coming in, uh, wanting a Super League, wanting a four quarter. So in, in terms of the people that bought Ipswich, for example, surely they can't be thinking, yeah, that was a private equity fund. We've talked about that a lot. I mean, it's it's difficult to imagine that they would be thinking about changes to European structure, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think theirs was more of a pension fund than a private equity fund. Oh, okay, so, right, so right, right, what, okay. what tends to be the case with a pension fund is that you're looking for um, – you, you don't tend to be looking for day-to-day involvement. You're okay, looking okay. for a longer-term okay. return. And I think there's a case for saying that you know, I, I think League One's fascinating at present because Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, yeah. Portsmouth, uh, Charlton, Ipswich. And so, yeah, there, there, are, there are lots of – what we would think of as, you know, big provincial clubs, and in the case of London, of course, they're, they're London as well, uh, in the case of Charlton. Um, and where is their natural position? You know, I, I, I would say, you know, I, I think that Ipswich, top half of the championship, bottom half of the Premier League potentially, yeah, because because Norwich have got that. Well, what have Norwich got that Ipswich haven't, apart from I think Norwich are very well organised. Um 
And I think that's where the, the Ipswich owners have come in um, and that's where they've seen opportunity. They feel that the club is underperforming. So that goes back to sort of the private equity. You're looking at businesses where you feel that their present position doesn't represent their potential position and that's where you can make a difference. Uh, I'm on about to say, Kieran, that Charlton, of course, are a provincial club. Um <laughs> I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question comes from Chris Haywood, and I'm slightly worried about it, uh, Kieran, because it starts with words, I understand. Now, these are the words that I use whenever uh, I'm asking a question that A, I either don't understand or I have information that is probably completely wrong. Uh, I might as well say, a bloke in the pub told me, is this true? But Chris says, I understand that the Premier League owners and directors test is different to the EFL owners and directors test. Who bears the costs of carrying out these tests? Is it the Premier League and the EFL or the clubs themselves? And also, how long do they remain valid for? But I have to say, again, it's one of those things, Kieran, <coughs> excuse me, that in all the years we've been doing this, it's never occurred to me to think how much these tests might, might actually cost or whether they do cost anything. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, well, you know, we, we have asked the EFL to come on um and they are they, they keep saying yes yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but we're a bit busy at present um so i think this will be a fascinating question if, if we can get uh get one guys on so so we, we we are in communication um and, and I, th- I think this this would be a, one of you know a, a great for them to be able to give a, a more in-depth answer but the the long and the short of it is that those costs are borne by the the institution itself and, and what tends to happen um, in respect of the owners and directors test is that the Premier League has more resources you know, and, and, and we, we know that because of the TV deals and so on so that's why it took three years for the the Newcastle deal to be approved um, you know the, the Premier League it, it does sometimes move at a fairly glacial pace um, if it has queries and it's also far more political I think than than the EFL in terms of who are the owners to be um, but those costs are actually borne by by the institutions themselves there is an there was a, in my view a fairly laissez-faire approach taken a few years ago uh, at, at the EFL level where owners were coming in and effectively self-certificating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're saying, you know, do you yeah. have any outstanding convictions? Oh, certainly not. You tick that box. Uh, can, can, you, uh, can, can you fund the company? You, you tick the box which says yes. And, and, and then you had Steve Dale and co. being able to acquire clubs. Or in the case of Steve Dale, he just simply refused to pass on the information as to his resources. And, and the deal went through. And, and, and to, be, you know, to give the EFL some credit, 
um, you know, they've changed their constitution to to make things more challenging and, and to increase the size of the hurdles that potential owners have to overcome. So um, that's that's the first part of Chris's uh, question, and, and the second one, uh, he said, is there a length of time? Yeah that um you, you you qualify for and it's it is not like um you know, it, it's not like a, a a license which is three years or five years it's, it's a case of once you're in you're in oh, um, so um you know you, you don't have to reapply if uh, all of a sudden you know you've uh, you've appeared in the equivalent of the news of the world whatever it is today um you know with the you know with the donkey the bath of custard and Three lines of cocaine. Um, if, if you're the club owner, you're you're still you're still clear um, as as far as that is concerned because you passed the initial test. I don't know where you're taking these three lines of cocaine, Kieran, in a in a room with a donkey and a bath of custard, but I wouldn't suggest trying the donkey. To be perfectly honest. Um, so that's an interesting one, Kieran. That seems to me to be a so if you know on the remote off chance that I uh, wanted to buy an EFL club cobbled the money together and got uh, a, a positive stamp on my EFL passport to say I'm a fit and proper person. So no matter what happened to me in the next three, four or five years, I could still take over a club without having to give any more information. So as you say, that's f- forever. So if Chris Kirchner got one, there's nothing to stop him, no matter what happened in, in the next two years, buying another club. Well, no, that applies. It's done on a deal by deal basis. Oh, I so see. I if, see. If, okay. if he if he bought Derby County and then sold Derby County and then applied to buy Burton Albion, he would have to go through another set of tests. So I, it, it's, it's based see. on a club by club by club. I game. see. I've got you. Okay. Yeah, I was distracted by the donkey in the bath of custard. Um, our penultimate question comes from Randy Eshelman. Uh, Randy says, Warner Brothers Media won the Champions League broadcast rights covering 39 countries in Latin America for last season. That meant that TNT Sports and, importantly, HBO Max were the broadcasters here in Mexico. What they did was split match days between the two platforms, TNT being available in the most basic cable satellite packages, while HBO Max was an additional premium subscription as one of many who refused to subscribe to yet another platform, I missed out on viewing essentially half of the available matches. Now, although UEFA sells these rights to the highest bidder and reaps the rewards, wouldn't the in-match sponsors have a say as to the reach of the broadcasts? It seems like any savvy business person would have taken into account the economies of Latin America and realised that there just aren't that many more pesos, reals, cordobas, etc., available for services within services, and then stipulated something in the contract about guaranteed number of viewers. Uh, I mean, I couldn't think of any way of subbing that question, Kieran, because yep. all the information was necessary. But basically, uh, Randy makes a very good point. If, if you're advertising or, or sponsoring some of those games in Latin America, and then suddenly half of them are not available to a lot of people, you would be pretty miffed, wouldn't you? I, I think you would, and I think here the... Uh, the likes of UEFA have to to do their sums carefully. What what UEFA are effectively saying is that if if let's say that we've got a a single TV deal which is worth a hundred million, if we split that into two deals for two separate broadcasters, we could possibly get sixty or seventy million from each of them. So therefore, we end up with more money. So so that's that's the rationale, and that's of course what we see here 
in the UK, where we've got our senior broadcast partners for the Premier League in the form of Sky, BT and Amazon. And then the Premier League have done the same with the with the radio rights, with uh, yeah, the BBC and TalkSport. Um, and and it, it tends to work um, from, a, from a financial point of view. But I think in... Yeah, I, I don't want to sound this, make this sound negative. In what you might call your, your secondary and tertiary markets, your your, your minor markets, um, and this is this is not being critical of uh, you know, the South American broadcasters or the South American viewers because you know, their focus tends to be more on the domestic, just like our, our focus tends to be on uh, you know UK and European football as opposed to the MLS and what's happening in Africa and, and South America and so on. Um, the, I don't think they'd be too worried about the loss of numbers in in terms right. of um, commercial partners because the numbers aren't huge to begin with. So, right, okay. Uh, and also, when you've got an organisation such as um, the the UEFA Champions League, you've got your six headline sponsors who tend to be more European based anyway. So, therefore, the level of sales that they're likely to undertake is not going to be critical. And I think that's also replicated in, in many regards in terms of what we see in the Premier League. So you know, we have many football clubs, for example, who have front-of-shirt sponsors from overseas gambling companies. Now, they're not actually particularly bothered that as, as a UK subscriber, I've got to pay for Sky and BT and Amazon and have my BBC license and so on because – they think that their global audience is, is still going to be big enough. And the Premier League tends to sell uh, deals and packages on a country-by-country basis or a broad location basis. And it looks at the total number of people viewing. Um, and frankly, you know, if, if, I'm, uh, yeah, if I'm W88 or ManBetX, the number of people who are paying for those services in the UK – are close to zero to begin with. So if you halve that by having two broadcasters, you don't actually lose anything in, in terms of your your broadcast, so your commercial push to punters. So in terms of the Premier League, we know that the, there are certain rules that indicate that every team in the Premier League has to be on television a certain amount of times. But beyond that, once the Premier League have sold their rights to Sky, BT, the BBC, do the Premier League not really care what they do with them and how much they charge for each game uh, once they've made their own money? No, you know, the, the Premier League has has the deal, um, and, and what's intriguing about the deal is, as a football club, you get paid for ten live broadcasts a year, yeah. but you don't necessarily get broadcast. 10, 10 times. I know oh. two or three seasons ago, we mentioned Burnley. Burnley were, I think, I think the, yeah, this is a crazy thing. The season that they finished seventh, they were only on television live seven times, oh. but they got paid for 10. Because what the broadcasters like is um, that they, they like relegation scraps. Of course. Yeah, you because know, you, you and I, we, we, you know, even if our teams aren't playing, I, I, will, t- I will tune in to watch. You know, if Forrest are playing Southampton, because there's jeopardy in the game. Mm. Um, and I think what had happened with Burnley is that if it had been, you know, you know if Brighton were playing Burnley, because we, you know, we, we, we had three seasons when we first joined the Premier League where we were genuinely in, you know, in, in danger of relegation for quite a bit of the season. 
if, if Brighton were playing Burnley, Burnley had no chance of going down. Yeah, what they they were chasing seven. Yeah, but, okay. Yeah, you know, apart, apart from Burnley fans, and, and yeah, you know, a, a fantastic achievement by the way. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of interest in it, and then you've got a side that's trying to avoid relegation. There, there would be a better choice from the broadcaster's point of view. So as you dive more and more into it, and you know we've we've got we've got friends who work in the broadcasting industry, they say it's 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 a science as much as an art as to how the matches are chosen on a week by week basis. Um, I think you you are limited. You could not you cannot have Manchester United and Liverpool. Uh, appearing 38 times. I think there is, there's an effective ceiling on the number of times you can appear as well, um, although that's never sort of explicitly uh, described uh, or, or confirmed by the broadcasters in the Premier League. But you, you never tend to see more than 29 games a season, perhaps the very occasional 30. Um, uh, yeah, whereas we, we, we've been around long enough to know which clubs will always generate the biggest broadcast numbers on, on a match, on a match by match basis and that's why you know wasn't it for something like 16 seasons every Manchester United um FA Cup game was shown on on live TV mm. by BBC and ITV because they they generate the numbers and, and yeah they could be playing somebody really dull at home which was effective walkover and it would still be chosen because it was there, there wasn't that constraint that exists in terms of the Premier League deals themselves yeah, and in terms of picking the games for Sky in particular, we know, Kieran, because we know people there, that uh, they have to make the choice sort of five to six weeks out. In an ideal world, Sky would be deciding three days before which games are on, depending on yeah. locally. But they know that there would be even more of a fuss than there is now if a game is rescheduled with only three or four days' notice rather than five or six days' notice. Um, our last question, Kieran, comes from Mark Ridley. And this one's, this one's for me, Kieran. You know, a lot of these questions, let's face it, they're, they're for you, Kieran. They're of interest <laughs> to you. Of course, I'm interested and I love hearing your answers. But with my old HR hat on, and it's a very old HR hat now, Kieran, it still says personnel. Uh, <laughs> still get confused as to how many N's and how many L's there are, even though I was a high-ranking personnel manager in the NHS. But Mark Ridley has this question, and it, 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 I got the hairs on the back. If I had a spreadsheet, Kieran, this one would have gone straight into it. If I'd known how to open the spreadsheet, even, or what it, one is, this one would, I, I don't think I need a spreadsheet for this question, thinking about it, Kieran. Mark Ridley says, how much annual leave do players get? Most employees tend to get 20, 25 days a year, but if you're a top-level footballer, your domestic season might go on until the end of May, and then every two years, an international tournament normally takes place in June, or for a return to training in early July. As players can't take leave during the season, do they get compensated for leave they can't take? I, I just love the idea of Harry Kane or Wilfred Tahar <laughs> going to the HR department at Tottenham or Palace and going, I'm owed three days. I've, I've got, I've got a t- I can't take them before the end of the year. Well, you'll have to pay me for them. Well, no, you'd have to miss the next game, Wilf. I'm sorry, you've got to go on holiday. <laughs> um. This is an intriguing one. So, so I, I contract. I contacted one of our uh, football agent uh, colleagues, friends, um, who said that the the football player is is ultimately contracted for the whole of the football season by the club. So, therefore, when the club's um, season ends, which can be at the end of the. You know, 38 or 46 games for, for oh, yeah. you might be in a cup the end of, or so on. The end of February if you're a Palace fan yeah <laughs> um, 
then then you're you're entitled to go on leave um and they will say yeah pre-season starts on the 6th of July so 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 for most players they would have that period of you know seven or eight weeks yeah. perhaps um in which that they're free to do as as they so choose um when it comes to the the international tournament so we've got the world cup and, and we've got the euros and uh, you know, and so on um Mark's absolutely right that that does cause a further problem, and this links to something which Gianni Infantino is is about to cause even further anguish yeah. about. Yeah. Because remember, he wants a three year cycle um, in which you get, you're going to have the uh, the World Cup taking place every three years, the European Championships every three years, and the the uh, the, the FIFA World Club Championship every three years. And I think then there, there would be genuine issues arising. And, and, and we've seen that the players have come back from an in-season World Cup in, in a variety of ways. Um, you know, uh, as, as as a Brighton fan, uh, you know, we lost Alexis McAllister because the club said, look, you just won the World Cup, have two weeks off. Yeah. And, and, I think, and I think they did the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but... Um, yeah, we, we still we still lost his uh, his contribution. Which you know, if if we're fighting relegation, that that could have been critical. We've seen the the issues with Calvin Phillips um, in, in terms of his level of fitness and and uh, you know physique as a professional athlete has been questioned by the manager. Um, with some players, you know, Ben White came back from the World Cup early for reasons and. Yeah, that was uncertain, uh, and and again, you know, I don't want to talk about Brighton too much, but yeah, Trossard went went to the World Cup with Belgium. Belgium had a pretty crap World Cup, yeah. and he and he's come back and he, and he's sulked, so he's not even in the squad anymore. So you know, it, it, these things can cause an awful lot of disruption, um, and and in terms of you know the annual leave, you know, the the end of the season has is effectively been pushed back a wee bit. Um, it, it does. It does cause constraints, and uh, you know we've got clubs such as Chelsea who who, who are registering a ridiculous number of injuries yeah. because we 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 say, oh, you're, you're paid a lot of money, so therefore you know you can take your holidays when you retire. But footballers are getting more and more injuries during the season because they are elite athletes, and and you cannot keep squeaking the pips or pipping the squeaks, whatever you call it, in terms of what you're trying to extract from um, somebody elite at whatever level. You know, you've, you have you work in the world of entertainment and you, you will have colleagues who have been through pretty horrendous times when everybody thinks they're being really successful because there's so much pressure yeah. to get out the next show, the next, the next album and so on. Uh, and I think we, we've got to acknowledge that, there has to be a balance correctly struck. And you know, last Friday, I believe that there was a meeting between the FA and the Premier League and, and the EFL because of you know, the increasing demands being placed on players. Although it's, it's interesting to note that, that nobody's actually saying that more and more matches in the Champions League is actually a bad thing, apart from probably the fans who go to the games thinking, what, why are we doing this? Yeah, you realise we, we lost a lot of listeners halfway through that question as they went off to Google whether you squeak the pips or pip the squeaks. 
uh, <laughs> and I'm not entirely sure what the answer is to that. I, I love Belgium, Kieran. I really, I think it's a wonderful country, but I feel I should apologise to every single person in it because quite clearly the Belgium squad couldn't operate under the pressure of my £10 on them to win the World Cup. <laughs> clearly, clearly word got around. You tell by the look on De Bruyne's face, it's like, we can't, we can't live up to that sort of stress. Thank you to everyone who ordered a limited edition Price of Football replica shirt last month. Your shirts are now being ethically manufactured, and we will get them out to you in around four weeks' time, hopefully. And thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. We'll be back on Thursday with our news pod. But if you have a question you'd like answered on our questions pod, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Fourth-Rounder Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to everybody on, on Patreon and all of the other kind things and, and words that you send us. It, it, it does it. It, it does keep me going at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night when I'm, <laughs> when I'm investigating a question. I can't, can't let the listeners down. Um, although that's not necessarily good for my domestic environment. Oh, I, just, um, I just love the idea of the Baroness you go, I can't let Liers down. Liers has asked this question. But uh, Emily, <laughs> Baroness going, he's Liers. He's a really nice bloke. I don't care, says the Baroness. Shut, put the light off. Go to sleep. You've got to be up at six o'clock in the morning to do Radio West Derby. Um, so Patreon is one way of supporting the show. Um, another way is is giving us a review on uh, using your your app. Um, it, you know, it, it's based on the number of stars. It, it, it helps us in terms of the charts and so on. Um, and by all accounts, it, it doesn't matter what you write in the narrative of the review. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Rylan and James Tavernier the Rangers captain, because I think it'd be great for those two to get together. They'd be too busy having a photograph taken to do any podding, Kieran. True, true. <laughs> I, James, I'll tell you, Ryland's a very nice fellow, and Lee Ayres, I recognise me about three pints of Guinness in the portions now. He's never been mentioned so much in public. Bye, everyone. The price of football. I'm for the